Let's go to Luke chapter 2, can we please? Glad to have each of you here tonight. I've enjoyed learning a little bit about the book of Luke. And several lessons have come to my mind as we've talked about this first uh, book, uh, this, this third book of the Bible, of the New Testament. And of course, Luke, the physician, he shares with us uh, why he wrote the book. He studied and he wanted to find out all that, uh, that happened from the very beginning. He interviewed many eyewitnesses and heard from the apostles and others. And uh, while Paul, we believe, was in Caesarea in uh, prison, he had two years and he had time. He cared for Paul and then he went into Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, to other places and found out information. And I am so glad he found it out. Someone said about 60% of uh, the book of Luke is unique to the book of Luke. Uh, he shares some things and in, investigated some things from the very beginning that uh, have, uh, because of his acumen, reminding us we need to use our gifts for the Lord. He wrote to a guy named Theophilus who was no doubt a very uh, important person. His name means someone who loves God. I hope that's your name too. <laughs> I hope someone could say to you, you know, the Bible says, if any man loves God, the same is known of him. If you love God, everybody knows it. If you love sports, everybody knows you love sports. But if you love the Lord, man, people are going to understand that real quickly. That man, that lady, that young lady, that older, older a servant, they love the Lord. And our love for the Lord determines, our deep in our love for God determines the sealing of our commitment to Him. That's why the Bible says one, you want to be rooted and grounded in love. Because the deeper you go in your love for Christ, the easier it is to do whatever He wants you to do. You know, we won't argue about dress codes. We won't argue about movies. We won't argue about lots of things. The deeper we love God, the more we want to elevate our behavior. We're not going to be saying, gosh, whenever we love God, because we know that's a Christian cuss word for God's name. We're not good. There's a lot of things that we'll just do. There's things we're not going to watch on television. It's not a matter of whether I like it or not. It's a matter of whether, do I love God enough? And anything I love, He should love. And if he's against it, I ought to be against it. It ought to be just a love relationship. And, and Theophilus, was his name meant he loved God. He was a lover of God, probably was a wealthy guy who used the money that God had entrusted with him to support the Apostle Paul and Luke in particular. And Luke, as he wrote this, he wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Tremendous resources for God's people to understand Things that happened in the beginning. He introduces to Zacharias and Elizabeth, and of course, people who were both uh, righteous in the sight of the Lord, a couple who were on the same page, and they wanted a son. They had been through some very difficult decades without a child. God gave them a boy and uh, taught them some lessons through that situation, and then introduces to Gabriel, who uh, not only told uh, Zacharias, but came to Mary and uh, told Mary that she was going to carry the Christ child and told her that she had a cousin from the tribe of Levi that was going to have a baby miraculously too. And, and when Mary received this information, no doubt overwhelmed, but she did some really good things. Number one, she accepted it. She said, Be unto me according to thy word. She went to a godly lady and spent three months with a godly influence, a spirit-filled uh, person named uh, Elizabeth, her cousin. And then she praised the Lord publicly. She said, oh, magnify the Lord with me. He goes, I, I, and he's, he's found mercy with me, and she praised the Lord. By the way, when you, have, when you have a new assignment, you have something coming down the pike that you feel a little bit intimidated by, that's a good thing to do. Accept it. Say, Lord, if this is what you called me to do, then I'm going to accept it, and I'm going to love you through it. 
and I'm going to accept it from you. Number two, I'm going to hang around a godly person and find godly friends that are going to help me to go the right direction. And then I'm going to praise you through it. I think James is a great classic uh, verse of Scripture in chapter 1 where the Bible says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. When you go into difficult times of trial, count it all joy. It's not what I want to do when I go through a problem. He said, but you count it for joy. Praise the Lord. Not for the problem, but for what God will do through the problem. There's two ways to look at problems. Your way, my way, or God's way. And God sees that he's got an aerial view of our problems. He knows what's going on. And there was no book of Job when Job was going through Job. And there's no uh, explanation for every situation that's going through your life. But there is a strategy. And that is to praise God for our problems and what God's doing. To pray for wisdom in the middle of our problems. Because that's what we'll need for problems. Wisdom. And then to persevere through them. And we see that Mary did that. And then, of course, it goes back to uh, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth has the baby. Everybody's rejoicing. And, and uh, they, they say, we're going to name him Zacharias after your husband. He's waited so long to have a son. And he goes, no, his name's going to be John. John, don't call him John. He said, go ask his dad. They went to ask his dad. And he said, uh, uh, his name will be John. And they gave him a name, telling us the importance of a name. And living up to a name that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. A good name rather be chosen than great riches. And then, of course, uh, the news came around. And boy, the well, good news that God does great things can get around pretty quickly. And remind yourself that you are walking in a glass house. People are watching you in good times and in bad times. And by the way, when you go through difficult times, nothing elevates you like a trial. Nothing uh, allows people to see and pay attention to you more than when you're going through a difficult time. When things are going smooth, no one even gives a rip. Maybe a little envy, but that would be about it. But when you go through a trial and they see how you honor the Lord, then there's going to be another level of opportunities for influence. And, and we see that uh, in this particular story. But unless John the Baptist come, he is a, he's a, a son that, that goes off to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, then we see goes back to, to the, the Christ child, and he is born uh, in Bethlehem. His family comes down there. God chose to move heaven and earth to get one little couple down to Bethlehem, reminding us that God is working in our surroundings, even in our government. He's working. I'm telling you, I get so frustrated just thinking about our government in America and the world around. It just, it, it'll depress you. You know, one thing that blesses me, though, is to know that God is working. God is not intimidated by senators, by, by congressmen. He's not intimidated by the cabinet of the United States of, of uh, our president or our vice president. He's not intimidated by a border crisis. All that stuff is nothing. It's light work to God. And he's got it all figured out. And we need to understand none of that stuff keeps us from going across the street and witnessing to somebody. None of that keeps me from being pure and holy and right and having good morals and good motives. All that stuff is, is available to us. We can get so caught up with the things. That's why I think uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and our theme for next year, we'll include that a little bit. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Like this earth, everything in this world is, is, is in a downward spiral. And it's, it's coming to an end. It's all coming to God. And uh, we need to understand that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we have great hope because of Him. But I'm glad that the Lord Jesus came in Bethlehem. And, of course, shepherds were notified. There were three people notified that he was the Christ child. The shepherds were the first. 
And then we'll study now, Simeon was the second and Anna was the third. Uh, shepherds and two senior citizens were the people to be alerted that Jesus was alive and he was the Messiah. And uh, Mary and Joseph were working through things. They had had the baby. Uh, eight days into his uh, birth, they named him Jesus, as, as was told them by the shepherds, by the, by the angels, excuse me, told uh, Mary whenever she conceived the child that was going to happen. And then it told uh, Joseph in another dream, uh, told him that he would name him Jesus. And now uh, they have come to the temple 40 days later and made their way to the temple there in Jerusalem to offer two turtle doves in accordance to the Old Testament rules. It's interesting, the Bible tells us five times in chapter 2 that they did everything according to the law. Now, I am grateful that I don't have to do that today like the Old Testament law did. However, it sets a great precedence for us and a great example for us that, you know, there's, there's some of us, you just, we just don't keep rules. We think rules are there to be broken, and we live by that. But, you know, there's certain things in the Bible, you don't break God's laws, you break yourself against them. And the laws of God are not grievous. They're for us, not against us. We ought to embrace them. And I, it's interesting that Mary and Joseph did everything they could. Five times it was put in. Luke made sure we knew that everything they were doing, they were trying to make sure they honored the law of God that they knew at the time. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross, Colossians chapter 2 tells us that he blotted out the ordinances of the law that was against us. So we don't have to continue to keep those rituals and things that the, that the Jews did at this time. They didn't, he was the Messiah. And then after that, thank God for the cross. And thank God there's a lot of things that we don't have to worry about. How many glad you can eat a BLT now without any guilt? Amen. And that's right. Got Brother Ramsey. He's always, he's like, oh, I love swine, man. I love swine. That guy's a little weird, you know. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I'm glad I can eat a BLT without any, uh, any, any guilt about that. I shouldn't eat too many of them, but that's my problem. I'm 200 and too many pounds. You pray for me about that. Maybe a New Year's resolution there. I need to slim down a little bit. Nonetheless, uh, they, someone said, you want to get in shape? Yeah, but round's a shape, I understand. <laughs> so so you know, be careful I don't get too round there. Nonetheless, you pray with me about that. But I'm, I'm glad that we don't have that Old Testament laws. But it's interesting, this young couple, they knew what the Bible says, and they lived according to that. And that's a good thing for all of us to do. Uh, if we know Jesus Christ our Lord, we ought to walk in Him. We ought to walk with Him. We ought to do whatever He wants us to do. I like what Jesus did in Acts in John chapter 8, verse 20. He did all those things that would please the Father. If it was good for dad in heaven, if it was good for my father in heaven, it's good for me. Whatever he wants me to do, that's what I want to do. And so many of our problems is our will. Our will. We got a strong will. We have ideas what we want to get done, and then we have God's will. There's just two choices on the shelf. You live for God or you live for yourself. That's, that's where it is. And you can please. There's a way that seemeth right to a man. The Bible says that a, a fool hath no heart. All he wants to do is his heart is to discover itself. Whatever his, his thinking is, his will is, what he wants to do, that's what he does. That's what she does. She doesn't give a rip about God, his ways, his inclinations, whatever he might, might think would be best. You know, the Bible tells us, lay aside every weight and sin. Some things, they're not wrong, but they're just not best. 
And boy, it would be a good idea for Christians to say, you know what? It's not a wrong thing, but it's just not best. I, this, this, this stuff, I don't even know why I'm spending so much time, effort, and energy on this particular thing. We ought to ask ourselves, where is it that God wants me to lay aside a weight or a sin? I love this about Mary and Joseph. They did everything that was according to the law. With that in mind, let's pick up, if we can please, with their encounter with Simeon. And uh, I want to show you this, if I can please. Verse number 27, the Bible tells us, or, or let's, let's back up a little bit. Verse 25, And behold, there was a man in, Jer in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed to him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. So, that he was a spirit-filled man. Some people believe that Simeon was Gamaliel's dad. That's interesting. Gamaliel, what do, what do we know Gamaliel to do? He trained Paul. And I don't know if that's true, but that's some. That's some and, and many of the, uh, the Jewish, uh, the, uh, as a high priest or as a priest of that time, he was elderly at this time. Uh, but even though they, they say he was very reputable and a, he was in the lineage of the high priest, he was skipped over in many of the rabbinical, rabbinical um, lineages and probably because of his faith that there was the Messiah and that he was alive today. And so they, they didn't agree with him, but he's an old man who had told, been told of the Holy Spirit of God, you're not going to get to die until you see the Christ child. And uh, that must have been some anticipation to know that that, to believe that by faith. And so he is in the temple, and, and the Lord lets him know. Verse 27, he came by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit of God led him into the temple. By the, wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us were led by the Holy Spirit of God? And when his parents brought the child of Jesus uh, to do for him after the custom of the law, then he, uh, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, he took him away from that little mother and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The only way you ever depart this life in peace is laying hold upon the person of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I say that not only for salvation, but for sanctification purposes. All of us have something in common. We're going to end this life some way. We are. We're going down a road where it's, it's just guaranteed you're going to separate from the body you live in. And uh, I want to encourage you, first of all, if you're not saved, to get saved. You'll never be saved until you cast your eyes and your attention on the person of Jesus Christ. However, you'll never depart in peace. Hey, listen, you study. Pastor Wilkerson has had the joy to stand, and I say joy because it's an honor to serve God's people. But the next time I go to a funeral, it'll be 530 times that I have been at a funeral as the officiant in, 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 in overseeing a funeral or a memorial service. I can't believe in the last 22 years I've had the chance to do that. But it's just been, it's just been my lot, an opportunity. But I'm telling you, I have seen a lot of funerals, and I've seen a lot of responses. Maybe I've had a little bit more opportunities to evaluate people at the end of their life. I never saw anybody die. Well, I should say that's not true. Two times I did before I became a pastor. But now I've seen numbers of people pass from this life into the next. I've seen people transition. And I've seen some wonderful transitions and, and, and what people who've just finished so valiantly. And they've departed in peace. And I've seen some others just depart in great regret. 
and grievances. And just wished I had, I had finished better. I wish I would have done this. So many wishes at the end of their life. And then others have so much joy and so much peace. They, they have things they wish were different. But they're, they're leaving this world because they've made Christ preeminent in their heart and life. I think that's a good thing for all of us to learn to do. But keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and then depart in peace. And I've, I like this next part. If you would, please, verse 31. Read it out loud with me, everybody. We're talking about chapter 2, verse 31. Would you read it with me? Which thou hast prepared. How many people does God want them to, to, to be saved, do you think? Yeah. You know, the Lord Jesus is the Savior of the whole world. And I, I want to, anybody who has a different thought about that, I wish you'd get on God's page about that. I don't think people become Calvinists by reading the Bible. I think they become, they get Calvinists when they listen to somebody who's pretty slick and takes a few things out of context and begins to, to warp our, our thinking on that situation. He is the, the God that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There's a lot more questions and answers I have about some of those things, but I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart that Christ is the Christ who wants to be the Savior to every human being. And he wants to put, be face to face with them. I, I look at verse 32, if you would please. And the light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. That's probably one of the reasons they didn't like him because he, he lit up the Gentile world. He said, hey, right there in the temple, he said, you're going to be a light to lighten the Gentiles. And of course, that was Old Testament prophecy as well. And the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which are spoken of them. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, the child is set for the falls and rising again of many Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, girl. That's kind of he, as he spoke to her, maybe handed the baby Jesus back to her. He said, You're going to have a sword go through you. And of course, 33 years later, she would know what that would mean that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse number 36, we're introduced to another senior citizen, a precious lady named Anna. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. So she wasn't on the tribe of Levi. She wasn't a priest, a priest's wife. But she was of great age and, and had, had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in in an instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake unto them all that looked to the redemption in Jerusalem. I want you to notice, look, God introduces to another lady, unique lady. And uh, there's a little bit of debate how old she was. Brother, Brother Abdel has an opinion, and I have an opinion, and they're not really the same opinion. But uh, Brother Abdel's probably right, and I'm wrong. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I, I've read several commentaries, and people are not sure how old she was. She was of a great age. And if you're 84, you're of a great age. Don't you think about that, Brother Abdel? <laughs> Brother Abdel, I'm going to get him all fired up here. <laughs> But they did oftentimes get married as a teenage girl, like Mary probably did. And so she could have been as much as 100 years old. But uh, she had been married for seven years. Her husband died. And rather than getting remarried, she gave her entire life to prayers, fasting, and ministry. And she served the Lord for the time, uh, the rest of her life. And now she finds her, herself in the temple and she identifies that the Lord gives her the idea that this is to the Messiah. I don't know if she saw Simeon 
and all that took place with Simeon. I'm not so sure she saw that. She may have seen him hold that baby and say, My eyes have seen thy salvation. She may have handed it back there. God doesn't tell us that. But she does come along, and as a result of that, she does two things. She gives thanks, and then she publicizes what she just saw and what she believed. She witnessed to others. I want to just say a couple of things. Those of us who are, who've got most of our life behind us, who are in those senior citizen years, let me encourage you to bless the younger couples and, and members of our church. Don't, don't grow up to be a sour old puss. Don't be a pooch mouth. Look for ways that when you come to church or you're, in, you're interacting with younger people, encourage them. Single adults, mothers, single moms, young couples, when you see them, I want to encourage you. Uh, this little couple, they were blessed. And the Bible says Mary and Joseph, they marveled at what attention two older folks who loved Jesus Christ gave them. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Those of us who are older, don't, don't, don't become takers at that stage of your life. Stay givers at that stage of your life. Take a few days. You've got a little bit more time, some of you, than some other young couples. Why don't you write them a note on a Tuesday and a Wednesday and bring it to church on a Wednesday night? Why don't you take time to go through a prayer list and begin praying for younger couples and, and younger folks in the next generation? You see, these little babies are dedicated occasionally three times a year in our church, and always seems like we have 10, 12, 15 couples standing here with babies. Boy, you ought to make note of them and say, Lord, help me to bless that family. Uh, I, I had a sweet, uh, sweet opportunity to interact with a, a family, and I saw them, and I said to Linda, they are now where we used to be. You know, now our youngest is 12. But boy, I remember when I thought, I'm never going to stop buying diapers. I should have just started a pamper factory many years ago. This is getting out of control. It's just, and boy, just time we've got one of them potty trained. Then it says, we're going to have another baby. I said, no, you're kidding me. We're going to have to buy more diapers. This is unbelievable. More formula, more baby food. And, and putting these little boots on and hats on and coats on to come to church. And, and now I just think about me. I don't think about them. And I don't care if they come in shorts. Just get over there to the church, you know. I do care about that, boys. Don't do that now. But boy, I, I, I don't, I, I, but when they were a little boy, there was just so much that Linda was doing and a little bit that I was doing, trying to get everybody together. And, and boy, these younger couples, they need the encouragement of those who've been there and done that. I love this. I love this because senior saints mean something. And uh, you, what you cannot do with energy, you can do with some urgency and with some thoughtfulness and with some, with some help. Don't, uh, don't postpone your usefulness when you're young. Those of you who are young, don't, don't say, well, when I get older, I'll serve God. No, serve God today. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. But those of us who are a little bit older, listen, don't, don't rust out. Find out there's still something God wants you. Don't just retire, return. Get back into us. Don't just say, well, I want this, and I'm just kind of church I want. This, and this. Listen, it's not about you, Spanky. It ought to be about what God wants you to do. And there is a place for every saint of God, and there was a place for Simeon, there was a place for Anna, and there's things to be done, there's places to go, there's people to bless, there's souls that can be saved, there's, there's checks that can be written, there's opportunities that can be done. And I thank God for two people who stood up and did it, and I thank God for them. 
I want to quickly just finish the chapter if we can. And I'll, just, uh, I'll just hit the high spots. We find that, that uh, this happened and they get this two visit. Would you look at verse number 39? And when the, they performed all things according to the law, they returned into Galilee to their own city of Nazareth. Now, of course, we know from the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke is speaking generally, there is something happens between the time that they, they go back to Nazareth. What happens? They go to Egypt. Yeah. And uh, Luke does not reference that. Matthew tells us that. And say, don't, don't, get that, don't, don't let that alarm you. Luke is speaking generally. And, of course, there is a time where they go to Egypt uh, fleeing uh, the assassination and the killing of the babies and the, and the attempt to kill Jesus from Herod. So they will go to Egypt. They'll get a visit by the wise men. We find that in Matthew chapter 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 2, and then they go to Egypt, and then they make their way into Nazareth, and that's where he'll be raised. One more thing the Bible tells about in chapter number 2 of Luke is the story of when Jesus and, uh, and Mary and Joseph, now Jesus is 12 years old. He has no doubt other brothers and sisters that are younger than him. He may, some people believe he had as many as five or six additional brothers and sisters. We know that two of them, James and Jude, who wrote the book of James and the book of Jude, were his little brothers, grew up in the same home with him, shared the same mom with a different dad. However, uh, he is 12 years old and his mom and dad are coming down to Jerusalem. According to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, three times a year God required the Jewish male to stop what they're doing and spend time in Jerusalem around the temple for three feasts. The feast of Passover, Pentecost, and the Tabernacles. Uh, he said three times a year I want every man in Israel to stop. And then of course people from around the world would sometimes come annually, but those in Jerusalem or in, in Israel would specially come and Jesus did that. You'll find as you study the gospel that Jesus went down faithfully. Every time it was supposed to be all that 90-mile trip from Galilee down into Jerusalem and back. They made that most of the time on foot. And uh, Jesus would come down for the feast with his disciples. When I was three and a half years, he was traveling with him and go back up. And uh, in the three and a half years, of course, he did that at least uh, nine times and probably ten times. And was crucified on one of those times that he was supposed to be in Jerusalem for the Feast of the Passover. And, of course, they pulled him off the cross to start that. And uh, that was why he was in that, that vicinity whenever that took place. Well, this is a time, and Mary and Joseph took their time down. Let's read the rest of the chapter, and we'll conclude this evening. Verse number 40. And the child grew and wax strong in spirit. By the way, young people, you're listening to this. This is what you ought to do. You ought to be spiritually strong with wisdom. You ought to be intellectually growing and with grace of God was upon him. And you ought to have God's grace upon you. It ought to be obvious that God has touched your life. Now, verse number 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And Joseph probably went down there th three times, but his mom and dad went with him on this time, Deuteronomy 16, 16. If you're taking notes in your Bible, that'd be a good place to make a note. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, they returned and the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. And they supposed him to have been in the company and went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinsfolks and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the, 
of the doctors or the theologians there, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto them, Son, why hast thou dealt with us? Thou dealt, thus, uh, dealt with us. And uh, seems to be a somewhat of a, a chastisement that's being given to Jesus. Behold, thy father and I have, sorrow, have uh, sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or didn't ye know, that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying that he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But uh, his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And would you read verse 52 with me? And Jesus increased in wisdom. There's a lot of wonderful truth there, and I don't feel like it's appropriate for me to take time tonight to go through this. But I will just remind you of a couple things. And that is, I, I, I think, a couple, a couple things that come to my mind is that, that um, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus. You know, I think sometimes you and I, as close as he may be to us, he's our Savior, he's our Lord, sometimes I think he gets lost. And uh, it's a dangerous thing to get very far away from Jesus. And it, it, it complicated their life. Three days later, they're still looking for him. I don't know if it's three days from the time that they found out they lost him, or if it was the third day since they left. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But you know, it's a dangerous thing to to really misplace Jesus in the priorities of your life. And if he's not a priority to you, you know whose fault that is? That's it's, it's mine in my life, and it's you in your life. If he's not important to you, then you can take the responsibility for that. And, uh, and I'm sure there was a whole group of people going back up to Nazareth, and there he just caught up in the hustle and bustle and probably has a baby on the hip and has a couple other, other little kiddos there they're probably caring for. Somewhere in the process, they lost a relation, that closeness with Jesus. And I tell you what, friends, when you lose that, it might take you a while to get that back the way it used to be. It may never get back. I think it's important for all of us to make sure that we're close to the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't get caught up in the hustle and bustle. I've been there, and I've done it. I think I can even identify things I've done the last few days and, and, and mindsets I've had that have, have, that have caused me to be dissuaded from the person of Jesus. I don't want that to happen to me, and I don't want that to happen to you. We see that they did find Jesus, and there was a confrontation. Mary may have been totally frantic. How many of you have ever been a, your mother here, and you thought you've lost your kids, or you've gotten misplaced, you can't find them right now? What happens? You get nervous. And she was. If it was three days, she was probably at her wit's end. I can imagine her hair was frayed, and She's sweating, and Joseph, did you find him? No, I didn't find him over here. I don't know if they looked on soccer fields. I don't know if they looked in, in the playgrounds. They were trying to find him everywhere. And finally, they made him to the temple, and they see him sitting there with the theologians and the, the teachers of the day. And, um, and uh, they, she says, you know, what are you doing this to us for? And he says, don't you know I'd be about my father's? And she didn't get it, and Joseph didn't get it. But could you imagine, it was probably the first time he ever been confronted about anything that was questionable. Uh, could you imagine? No, no wonder his brothers and sisters were probably upset with him, didn't believe him for a while. Could you imagine their parents saying, why can't you just be like Jesus? <laughs> they probably heard that their whole life. 
But here we find that Mary and Joseph didn't understand it, but he went back and he was subject to them. It's interesting. The next time that we look in the scriptures, Jesus is 30 years old. From the time he is 12 till he's 30, the next 18 years, we know nothing about Jesus except that he was submitted to humanity. He submitted himself to his mom and his dad. He was subject to them in Nazareth, a now-the-way place. Probably a great brother, a helper, mistreated, misjudged, but he submitted to his mom and dad for those years. I think it's a good lesson for all of us. And he grew. And by the way, all moms and dads, you want your child to grow in the same way that Jesus grew in stature, physical, in intellect or wisdom, and in favor with God, spiritually, and in favor with man. And I pray that God will help us tonight to take these thoughts to, to heart. Let's pray together, can we?